0: Welcome to episode two of the Through the Point podcast. This week I had a really fun interview with Liam Christensen, who, if you don't know who he is, is currently throwing at Stanford University and has their school record of seventy-four seventy-eight. William Liam had tons of success as a youth athlete uh, and through the high school ranks competing outside the U.S. multiple times, and he also got interviewed by NPR during his high school career and got Javelin approved as a high school event in his home state of South Carolina. Liam's a super smart guy and really interesting, and I appreciate that he was able to come on uh, and tell his story a little bit. I also want to shout out Thomas Pollard, one of my roommates, for letting me use his Mac. Uh, Liam and I were having some technical issues, and we needed to use FaceTime and not Zoom, and ultimately came out really well, so I appreciate that. And I want to correct something I said last week. Uh, The artist who created the song for the intro is called uh galassi not galassi so i want to apologize for making that mistake you should still check them out i'm going to link the song in the bio Uh, i'm really a big fan so check them out thanks I'm here with Liam Christensen, uh, Stanford record holder, New Balance Nationals champ, and Javelin diplomat is what I would call him. Uh, (laughs) Liam, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I think I just want to start with how did you get into throwing? I did some non-creepy research about you, uh, and it said you started throwing at age 13. So how did that happen? Because you're from South Carolina, and that's not a sport in your high school. So that's something I find uh, interesting. How do you get into that?
1: Yeah, so when I was – 12 years old or so, I think I kind of got really interested in going out to the track because I was growing up, I was always kind of interested in following what my brother did. I have an older brother who's three years older. And so um, like when he started playing the piano, I I started playing the piano and then he started doing track and I wanted to do track. So um, it ended up, he started doing track when he was like 15 years old, I think at the beginning of high school. Um, So I was 12 and I I went out there and I started doing like all the events, you know, got really involved in the 800 and, and uh, somebody tried to get me to throw the javelin when I was like 12, but I wasn't allowed to throw the real javelins. I, I just had to do the turbo jabs. So mm-hmm. I was like, nah, I'll, I'll wait a little bit because I wasn't too interested in throwing those, uh, those turbo jabs at the time. Um, but yeah, I just kind of started when I was 13 um, and just kind of stuck with it. Was this through like a club or something?
0: Because uh, someone just in the area, like, I don't know many people introducing javelin to 12 year olds, but uh, that's yeah. definitely an interesting start.
1: Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so so pretty much it was it was called it's called Mount Pleasant Track Club. It's a huge club now, um, in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, uh, right outside of Charleston. And, um, basically, so when I started, I think we had like one. We I think we had two javelins. We had like a it, it's oh my gosh, it's got to be older than me. One of them was super rusty. Like these were not not looking too great. You know what I mean? Like there there's a six hundred gram and an eight hundred gram. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was like, that was really the only way you could really start throwing javelin in South Carolina at the time, uh, particularly that age too, because it's like, I mean, they don't really, they don't have in high school, high schools, let alone, um, middle schools, you know? Um, but yeah, so, so fortunately I, I started when I was 13. Um, there was a guy by the name of Michael Flournoy. We, we had no javelin throwers on our team. I think we had like one or two that year or something very, very few. Um, and this guy my coach, Coach Michael, he had just moved there from Georgia, and, and he came to the local track asking if they needed any help with anything, and, um, and they were like, oh, we have this little guy who wants to do the javelin, like, do you want to help, and he's like, well, I don't know much about the javelin, but, you know, he was, he was just getting into, like, trying to do decathlon, so he just bought a javelin, he's like, I'd love to help out, and um, so from then on, like, he was legitimately my coach, like, from when I was 13 all the way to when I went for college and and our club started with like two javelin throwers and now we have like 140 of them. It's, it's crazy. And yeah. And he, he runs the whole thing. He's like the, the javelin king down there. That's what I'd say. Yeah.
0: 140 javelin throwers alone, not including everybody else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he started, he started from, I mean, maybe this isn't completely true, but I'm pretty sure he started with like almost zero like experience with the javelin when he started coaching me and we just kind of learned it from there. So
0: yeah, that's absolutely nuts. That's what I was going to say next was that's like, you're 12 years old 13 years old just learning it yourself and this guy's yeah. learning right along with you it's like the yeah. saying about like a teacher just reading the lesson plan one day before the students need to do it and that's all he needs to know I guess but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's no, pretty it, funny it was, crazy.
1: it was super super cool yeah
0: what other sports were you playing at the time or anything because I mean I don't think you were mm. probably doing nothing and just ended up at the track like you said your brother does was doing track and that's kind of what you got uh got interested yeah. in but what else were you doing
1: yeah So so every time every time I've talked about this my mom gets really mad at me because she hates it when I make her seem like an irresponsible mom but I, I swear at least I think this is true I'm, I'm pretty sure like one of the main reasons I actually joined track in the first place is because I was really into soccer at the time and I think I want to say like my mom might have forgot to sign me up for the soccer team and uh and then my brother was doing track so it was like oh why not and just like put him on the track team um but yeah so I was I was always I mean growing up I did a lot of sports I, I played like you know the flag football, tackle football, all that stuff, some baseball here and there, um, soccer, basketball. I was really bad at a lot of them, um, but I just kind of like to get up and move around a bit, you know, and so, um, but but the real passion that I found actually was the 800, 800 meter run in track. Again, my brother did it, but that was like, I don't know, I, I think that was like one of the most enjoyable sports for me just because like, or, or events, I guess, in track, um, just because it was like the the feeling that you get when you're coming around the track after like two laps, you're coming down that last like 100 meters. I mean, there's nothing worse than that feeling. I was <laughs> going really to say, I can't really relate You get it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, so I, I played a lot of sports growing up, but then, um, by the time I was like 13, I was pretty honed in on track and, uh, um, or I guess really when I was like 14 or 15 is kind of when I got pretty serious about it. And, and so I, I, I ran the 800 and through Javelin from kind of then on. So what made you
0: choose to stick with the Javelin? Like you said, you love the 800 and I cannot relate with that at all. I've never run one and I don't plan on ever doing it as I'm getting uh older, but was it just like, I'm really good at this. I want to stick with it. Or what was the deal or how were you at the start? Were you really good when you immediately uh picked it up? Yeah. Or...
1: yeah so no, it's actually really funny at the start i I mean, looking back, I have no idea like how how I really was, but I'd say I was actually pretty bad at the start like when i was i think my first meet, I threw something like seventeen meters or something like that, <laughs> yeah, right, I know, and then the next meet I threw or like i think later that year I got off like twenty eight meters and and then the year after that, I think my best or no wait i maybe no this is all in the same year I think it was like 28 meters one year and then the next year I was at like 36 and these were the 600 games um so I, I wasn't like amazing by any means but I, I think and, and I joke with my friends all the time especially recently about like you know why do you like the javelin like what's so special about it because at the end of the day like you're just throwing a stick right but I and, and I think when everybody says that it's like a passion like that buzzword now it's just like oh it's you know javelin is more than just throwing like it's a passion but But I mean, the more you think about it, like at the end of the day, like that's, that's the truth. I mean, there's something really beautiful about, um, just the, the way you kind of almost like put a little bit of like life into this thing and and just kind of let it go and just watching it. And like that feeling that you get when you hit a javelin and it just goes right through the point and just kind of goes and you kind of like feel all of your work leading up to that point. You're just like, Oh, like, this is why I do that. Um, so I think that it's like those type of feelings that you get. And then when you get to a competition and you do that, and then everybody's like, wow, like, how'd you do that? And, and you're just like, "God, oh, you know, I practice like a lot. Like I, pl- I practice a lot to do that. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Absolutely. Um,
1: and I, and I think that, yeah, I think, I think kind of like that artistic feeling is, and, and just, you know, it's, it's also just a very, um, not subjective sport at all. Like it's very just. You know you throw this far you do well like and you can measure your progress over time I think I really like that too so I think it's a bit of a combination of, of all those things you know
0: yeah and you kind of sped up one of the questions I wanted to talk about later but I it was a great response so I'm definitely happy you did it but that's one of the things I enjoyed too is I, I, some of my teammates from last year are going to laugh if they listen to this and hear it is I would just say like the tape measure doesn't lie like and that's yeah. so different than other sports that I've been involved in is i would always been a team sports guy where like there's so many things that just cause you have great statistics, who knows what competition you're against or you other way around or different things like that. But in this it's like right. 70 meters in Antarctica is the same as it is in right NCAA. Right. So like, it's really so subjective that, I mean, it's so subjective to the sense that it's frustrating at some points, but it's really like beautiful mm-hmm. in that sense. And like, I think that separates it from a lot of other sports. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, but also the beauty of it, just like, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Now you got me all pumped up uh, thinking about it, <laughs> just like the application of force and like creating something from nothing in the sense that like when you're running it's you controlling it, but you really have to apply the force here. And I think that's uh, definitely a cool way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. So what did it look like in high school? Because I don't want to spoil it, I guess, for everybody else, but it wasn't a sport in your high school. I talked about that a little bit at the start. But mm-hmm. what was that process like? And what did the other kids at school think of you like just being a spear thrower? not on any well were you on a high school sports team as well or what was mm-hmm. that situation yeah.
1: yeah yeah so um my schedule in, in high school so like like i said I, I obviously i ran the 800 right because yeah um p- part of the reason was that obviously like i really enjoyed it and everything but but the other part was that yeah it wasn't uh the, the job wasn't an event in my high school at the time um and i think that um for me i i kind of wanted to stay with the running in addition to all the facts of just like, Oh, it's like so hard. And it's really, I don't know. I just loved it. Um, just like kind of the team team atmosphere of it. You know, that wasn't really something that I was really getting with the club as much. I mean, that's not to say it wasn't like a very close knit team because the club really was, but at that time it's like, generally speaking, that club has like more, it's it's like a younger crowd in general. Like the average age is probably like something like 12 or something. Right. So when I was like 17 or 18, of course I want to hang out with my peers. Right. Um, so my, my day-to-day for for high school was usually I'd have like track practice after school for for high school. So at like 3 o'clock, 3.30, I'd kind of go and do like a distance run or something like that. And then after that, I'd drive home and then uh, hit the track for Javelin. So like that was kind of the way that that all shook out. Um but yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't super weird. It was just that nobody kind of really knew what the javelin was. Like people are like, "Oh, you do the javelin?" That's like when you run and like stick the pole in the ground. And I was like, "Yes, yes." And they're like, "And then you jump over a bar." And I'm like, "No, it was, <laughs> that was close, but not quite." Um, but so yeah, so so I mean, nobody really knew exactly what it was, but um, but sometimes like when we'd have home meets or things like that, like people would come out and check it out, and and they thought it was pretty neat. But uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty. Um. yeah nobody really understood I guess kind of what was going on there for a while
0: yeah yeah definitely Uh. I got I have an aunt that calls it jousting so I think <laughs> I got uh, another person that's messing it up just like that it's, like, it's close to the stick in the ground but not exactly that stick in the ground <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what was your we were talking a little bit off air about like the new balance circuit USATF AAU all that stuff so can you kind of sort that out for me because I'm, I'm new to it as well What was that situation like when you were in high school
1: yeah so when i was so so i guess to start like when i was like 13 14 15 all those years like the primary focus was like the usatf meets i was never really into aau from but from my understanding i think they're pretty similar um but the usatf meets, you have like the you have like your state meet your regional meet and then your national meet um and you just kind of go up hitting the qualifying marks in there and, and you can go to the national championships and everything so Um, I did, I did USATF meets, um, probably from when I was, yeah, when I was 13 to I think 18, I think I did it like all the way, maybe except for like one year, um, until I graduated. Um, and then along the way, so like, that's like the junior Olympic national championships or whatever. I feel like there's like 20 different things called the same thing. Um, there's like the Hershey youth national championships, AAU national championships, like USATF. There's just like a whole bunch of them. Right. Um, but so there was that. And then somewhere along the way there, I think when I was like 15 or, or something like that, I heard about New Balance for the first time. And I didn't really understand what New Balance was because um, the USATF meets are obviously it's just club based. Like it's, it's not like a high school thing. And, and I knew that like there were high school throwers in, in different states that had high school meets, but I didn't really understand what New Balance was. And then as soon as I did, I was like, oh, let's go to New Balance. Like that sounds hype. Um, So then, yeah, so then we started going to New Balance when I was, I think the first time I went was when I was like 15 or something. Um, And then, yeah, so I went my sophomore, junior and senior year, I think. Um, And that was, that was a blast. That was a really good time. Um, So yeah, I I won like two years there and and that was great. And then um, one year I went to the junior championships, which is the u twenty one. USATF not connected to junior Olympics or New Balance or anything I don't know Um, and then that was that was really fun there too so so yeah those are there's there's a ton of different meets that are all called the national championships but (laughs) um, but yeah they're all pretty different I guess
0: yeah I was gonna say they need to start getting a little more creative with the names on them but because they're (laughs) junior everything or uh, whatever like that Uh, and yeah don't discount yourself just sliding in there that there was a couple New Balance national championships I posted A video uh on the page the other day which actually i think is the second or third most liked video i've had so i mean the account's still building but i mean that's pretty good at the start so people people were definitely digging that um yeah
1: (laughs) that throw killed me (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah 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 what was so after new balance national championship obviously that's a huge win and uh a big big championship but in your area what was the competition like in your area as you built up getting to that national championship
1: oh man um let's see so that's around June I think right so I think um I don't know exactly what I did my sophomore year I I, know I I know I got like six at New Balance or something but I don't think I really was doing too much before New Balance because I think it is pretty early in the year but um Obviously, since there aren't really any high school meets um, in in March and uh, April in South Carolina that have the javelin in it, um, we just kind of had to, like, pick a few special trips and just, like, go to different places that would have these meets. And, like, there were some club meets that I would, like, throw in, too. So there was, like, uh, sometimes I, th- I think my first meet of the year was either I think my junior, I opened up at like uh, Penn Relays or something. But then like there was a bunch of times where they would have like the the Citadel. It's a college in Charleston, mm-hmm. and they they'd have like some meets near our track, and and so I just go out and throw at them. Um, That's actually where I met Capers Williamson. Yeah, he's of... going to be a guest in the future,
0: which is funny that you mention him because Kevin yeah. also mentioned him in the last one as well. So Capers, I guess, is a pretty popular guy, which I'm I'm excited to hear from him. But
1: yeah, he, yeah, he's a great dude. I mean, we met like we met when I was, I forget which year it was, but I was young and we were out on like this field for a Citadel meet and it was super muddy, like awful conditions. Everybody had inch-long spikes and it was just terrible. And then Capers was just chilling in the corner. I was like, oh, who's that guy? I don't, I don't think he was actually throwing that dare or anything like that. But then someone was like, oh, like that's Capers Williamson. Like, you know, he drops bombs and I was like, oh, let's go. Like that's that's sick. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so for the most part, it was, it, it was kind of weird because it was like, everything leading up to, to June, there was no, like, huge, like, really, um, like, challenging meets, I guess, like, the, especially in a state where it's not in high school, it's like, you go to meets, and sometimes there's, like, three or four, six people, something like that, and it's not, like, you know, like, a very, it, it, it's hard to kind of get, like, super amped up when, right. when it's just, like, in the middle of nowhere, terrible conditions, something like that, um, but yeah, I, I think there are are like, getting to be more meets, like, earlier in the year now, luckily, But, but yeah, that was definitely like a little bit of a challenge for sure.
0: And I think that leads into one of the interesting things or most interesting things I found about you was, well, last year I had to write for a journalism class, something of, it was just a topic about, I think anything I was passionate about or something like that. And I was uh, Mm -hmm. looking up research about uh, implementing Javelin uh, into high schools in the United (laughs) States. And I actually found your interview uh, with NPR and that's kind of what got Mm -hmm. me, I guess, interested in going on that paper uh, so how did that process come about where you're going from in the same year as winning New Balance Nationals, you're also getting interviewed by NPR about implementing javelin as a high school sport? I mean, how did that contact yeah. even happen? Because that's not not a small uh, podcast or radio station to be reaching out to. you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so the way that happened was, I think that I think I think I like I had my thesis or something so, like that. That was my thesis project for my school because like we're required to have like a thesis at our school. And um and I was interested. I was like, okay, well, if I'm gonna spend a year working on a project, like, why not do it something about like, I'm really passionate about, right? Um, so that's kind of how I got started there. Um, and then from from that, I think somebody from like the Post and Courier wanted. It's like a Charleston newspaper found my paper and like wanted to talk about it. And I think they did like a short thing. And then that's how NPR found out about it. Okay. And they con- Yeah, I think they they contacted me through um the newspaper station from that like did the original thing, I guess, if that makes sense. Um also the NPR interview was very funny because I I remember Scott Simon was a guy like doing the interview and he asked me this question and the way he worded it, I thought he asked something completely different. So I made <laughs> myself look like a complete fool, but it's fine. Um but yeah, so so that that was that was pretty interesting. And and I guess like the the reason I kinda wanted to do that paper is just because and, and, and I heard this when you're talking to Kevin too in, in his interview episode one. Um, there's there's oftentimes like this story of just like, oh, I got really lucky. Um, like I came to javelin and, and it was super lucky and stuff, right? and And like I'm in the same boat because I had this guy that moved to Georgia who ended up coaching me like five times a week for like six years straight. Like it's just crazy, right? and and, uh, and the the odds that I would have came upon the javelin otherwise are like probably so slim. And I think that if, if I had it in my high school, like who knows, like maybe it would have happened too. But the I mean, on the one hand, you have like all the opportunities that can come from it. And I understand like that's gonna be different for everybody, but but I think like the value that you get from doing this type of sport, there's just something about it that I think there's just like a lot to learn from it. You know what I mean? Like everybody says that you can learn a lot from doing sports growing up and I think javelin is no different. Um, I think there's like a lot of space to to grow there. And so I, I guess I just really wanted I wanted people to like be able to not have to get super lucky and have this like crazy story of how they got involved in it and just kind of get exposure earlier on. So
0: Right, and even if it's not at the youth level, like even just starting at the high school level, I mean, you look at a lot of the top U.S. guys and they started their freshman year of high school in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania or Oregon or something like that, so it's not like they, to be a top athlete you had to start when you were six years old. There's a lot of people that had right. a lot of success going on, so giving them that opportunity, I think, is obviously mm-hmm. really awesome and something I completely support. So that's definitely an interesting yeah. story and like, but with that thesis, was it with the plan of actually getting it approved? Or was it just like, I'm writing this and like, this is what I, I'm passionate about, which obviously, it's good for a school project, but ultimately, it ended up getting approved, correct?
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. So, so yeah, the, the end goal with that thesis was to get it approved, um, and, and just get it, it at least at the very least we wanted it as an exhibition event for like a year or two we were just like okay so like our process of thinking was just like okay if we can just show you guys that it's really not that bad like it's not as dangerous as it might seem like there's like when you look at the statistics which i'm sure we can like get into later like it's really not terrible um and we're just like okay if we can just convince them to let us try it at some meets maybe maybe the state meet that would be great then like that would, that would be awesome and and the first time we tried to get it passed. It didn't work. Um, there's like a, it's like a weird process. You, you have to like get the coaches to vote for it. And then like, once the coaches vote for it, it goes to like some other place. Um, and so the first time the coaches unanimously passed it, um, in this big coaches meeting. And then, um, after that meeting when it went to like some executive board or whatever, um, they just were like, no chance. There's just no way it's logistically speaking. It's way too hard. And we're just like, all right, whatever. Um, but then luckily, I mean, the next year, the, they brought it up again. I wasn't there, unfortunately, but they brought it up again. I think I was already in college at that point and um, passed the coaches again. And then they had like a more robust plan, I think, going in and more people wanted it to happen. So that when it got to like the executive level, they were just like, okay, like, yeah, we can we can do it. And then I think they decided to implement it as like an exhibition event for like two years and then to roll it out like fully after that or, or something like that. So. So basically, it wouldn't be a scoring event at the state meet for a few years until, like, it gave all the schools enough time to kind of adapt and, and get their javelin program going, like, properly. Right. So,
0: so, yeah. What was some of the – I mean, I guess it passed unanimously with the coaches, but what was the type of pushback you heard from those executives or the top-level people? Like, what were the reasons that they didn't mm-hmm. think it would be safe or proper?
1: Yeah, so – a lot of it was just the, the simple, oh, you know, we're throwing a spear. That's scary because spears can hurt somebody, right? Um, and so, which, I mean, like, I, I wish you could just show somebody some numbers and then they just believe you, but but obviously, like, that doesn't happen that often. I mean, it does, sure, but, like, accidents happen all the time. But if you set up, like, the right safety things and, like, those those won't happen. But, but yeah, so I think those were, like, that was the biggest concern, Um after that, it was that, um, and th- and this is a very valid concern, it was that, like, there, if you're going to implement it as an event and you have a bunch of kids, like, you need to have a coach that knows what they're doing, right? Because, um, and this is what I found in my research paper, the, like, huge majority of injuries that happen from javelin have nothing to do with the throw itself but the training that goes into it. So, like, if you're doing, like, some sort of lifts that, like, you're, just, you're lifting too much or, like, doing some exercise too much, like, you're going to get, like, a strain or a pull or... You know something, you're you're gonna mess something up, um, and I think this goes across all sports, but for javelin in particular, like you got to be careful with like how you train for it, right? So, I think like that was a big concern, and then finally, I think the the next one was like something to do with just like schools didn't want to put out the money to like buy runways or javelins or things like that, but then we we're just like, oh, I mean, you don't have to have a runway, like you can start with grass and maybe build your way up there eventually, and then there's all these other different like. Uh, cheaper runway materials that you can get to that that are also very effective so it was really like a matter of kind of just showing them that it's like not only like can you do it but it's it's just like the the more important like thing to be asking yourself is like you know is this going to benefit our kids you know what i mean and and i think at the end of the day like hopefully that's what they realized is that is that it would and i think that's why it kind of got passed
0: right and i think that safety concern is just like you said it's just like it's so obviously that like yeah it is I guess dangerous just by looking at it, but in terms of like other sports in that same paper I talked about earlier, it was like all the throwing events over the past 35 years had a number of deaths. I can't remember the number, but then like in football, high school football alone in the past Mm -hmm. year, it was like twice the number as the past 35 years there. So talking about like that type of concern, but it is interesting to hear them talk about the training. And then I've also heard some stuff about costs, but like that's my same thinking as well as, I, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have a runway, but you're not losing on the experience necessarily just because you're using grass. Like, it's not ideal, but if everybody's using grass in the state, then you don't really have that right. much of a, a disadvantage. So I think that's definitely interesting. But I never thought of it in the way that just like, yeah, you need a proper coach. And obviously, people have different opinions on what a proper coach is. But someone who's at least either been in the sport or been around it a lot, that definitely makes a lot of sense. But I'm glad it was able to get approved even if it was after you were yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, me too, honestly. And and I mean, the other, like, beautiful thing about javelin is, I remember I was, like, talking to some Finnish people one time. I don't remember who exactly it was, but, but they say, like, oh, like, you don't even need a javelin to train for javelin. Like, you just got to pick up a rock <laughs> and just go to a lake and just throw the rock. Like, that's it. And I was like, that's actually really true. Like, you don't, I mean, of course, if you're going to be competing, yeah, you need to throw a javelin from time to time so you can, like, get that form, because it's quite different than throwing a rock. But at the end of the day, like... Yeah, you don't need like the most fancy equipment to to practice this sport. It's a very like simple thing. That's like it doesn't really require all that much um, equipment to to do. You know what I mean? Or at least to start, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, not much equipment so, yeah. at all in the sense that you could really go to an open grass field, buy a hundred or two hundred dollar javelin. That's not the best, but something that you can afford and really just begin and start throwing it. Like there's not much else that goes into it. Whereas something like hockey or baseball like baseball bats the best ones are going for 400 a piece and you get one a year or something like that so i mean in terms of that like yeah there's really not much barrier to entry to it which i think like you said having that for people that are younger like they could go do that on their own pretty simply and in a in a safe manner as well which is uh obviously an important part of it
1: right and then and then also the this is something that like that's crazy i I don't know if i made this very clear in the paper i know i definitely didn't make it clear in, like, the NPR interview that we were talking about earlier, but the stats, like, on injuries themselves from Javelin, I think, like, from, like, 1982 to 2011, of all the throwing injuries that have ever happened in that time in high school, I think, uh, there's, like, some demographic, there was, like, zero deaths. There were some pretty, like, gruesome injuries and stuff, but from the Javelin in particular, like, there was no deaths, like, whatsoever, um, which is crazy. And then you have, like, in terms of, like, shot put and discus, there's, like, some pretty brutal, like people getting hit in the heads and like goes into detail and like these reports and it's like kind of crazy. So, so I mean, yeah, just in general too, like that, that uh, like stigma of just like, Oh, the javelin, like super dangerous, you know, all, all these things that like people talk about, it's dangerous, expensive, like just not good. Like I don't really see where it's, where it's coming from, but I don't know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And the shot put and discus are the ones that are approved everywhere and it's yeah, like, but right. it's not, it's not blatantly <laughs> dangerous, but I mean, a ball that's—I don't even know the high school weight. I mean, at the college level, sixteen pounds. If, yeah, if you get hit in the head with that, you're pretty much in trouble. But uh yeah. yeah, so that's definitely, definitely interesting way to look at it. And I did not know that statistic, so uh, I'm glad to hear that at least too. But mm. I think you would. Uh, this is a little bit off topic, but there was like an article. I'm sure you saw it maybe last year, a year and a half ago. I think it was at University of Georgia, and it was like the headline was like mm-hmm. "Runner Impaled by Javelin," <laughs> and then it's like if you read yeah. into it, it was like it was just stuck in the ground and someone ran into it. Not the sense that it was like an errant throw that hit somebody in the field or something like that. I I think, I hope I got the story right and no discount or disrespect to the runner, but it's just like that headline just is a a (coughs) clickbaity way to make it seem like Javelin's really more dangerous than it is when it's any, he could have run into a bench and had the same injury. Like that's not necessarily.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. So, so that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that just goes back to the, like if you're gonna implement it, like you have to do it right, and and I think that, like obviously I I laugh not cause it's funny, but just cause it's like surprising right. almost. It's like how does this happen? You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're properly setting up a javelin sector, there is no chance that somebody's going to to run into it backwards, unless they're like officiating and they I don't know, an accident happens right. But but at the end of the day, like if you have this field flagged off and you're making sure people aren't going in this area where javelin's gonna be, you have like you know whatever twenty eight degree sector that it's going into. That's a pretty I mean, if you have a flagged off, it's a pretty, like, certain, it's like, okay, yeah, don't go here, and, like, you probably won't get hit, um, and, of course, I think, like, at one of those international meets a while ago, I know, like, Tara Pikamaki hit somebody as well, and, and, like, those things do happen, but, yeah, it's, like, it's all of those stories are just purely, it's, like, somebody runs into it backwards, or, or somebody, like, it's it's all just the, these careless things that can be completely avoided if you just, like, know the, like, have, like, at least a baseline of, like, proper etiquette about how you should, be around javelins right um yeah
0: all right so getting on to I guess a happier topic now with all those national championships and the success you had in high school what did that recruiting (laughs) process like how did that go I guess obviously you ended up at Stanford but what was that
1: like yeah so I think Stanford was actually the first school to contact me we had coach Eisenreich at the time um and yeah, so I mean that, that process is really interesting because I didn't really know what to expect. I never I never really signed up for any of those like recruiting software. I don't know what they're they're called like those those places. But um, so I think she she was the first person to contact me, and then I was just kind of like I reached out. I I submitted some questionnaires to places like I submitted one to like Texas, UPenn, um, UNC, um, and I think Harvard, also LSU. I think, yeah, those are like the, the schools kind of that I was like most interested in, I guess. And at the time I think Texas had like tie sevens. I sent him an email and, um, it was actually really funny. I was like, Oh, um, I'm interested in, you know, potentially like learning more about Texas and your program and stuff. And I think he sent me like two words as a response, like no punctuation or anything. It was like, all right, well, obviously not going to Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but then from there, uh, I, I knew Jeff Gorski a lot. I worked with him a lot. Um, training in high school and so the appeal of going to unc was really cool just because like i knew that he was going to be working there and like pretty pretty soon after So like working with him that sounded like awesome too um but yeah in general it was, it, i had it really narrowed down to upenn harvard unc and, and stanford at, at a certain point and um i went on my visit to all of them and and honestly that was like a really hard decision but i think like the the best part about like Stanford was just, like, the the people that I met here and the weather and the training facilities, like... is and, and also, I really value my education, you know what I mean? So, as you should if you're going to college, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think Stanford just, like, had the, the best of all of that for me. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of, like, the visits themselves, they were all, like, pretty different. It, like, each team kind of had their own vibe, you know what I mean? Like, they... Um, yeah it's it's kind of hard to describe but they were all very very fun they all had great schools yeah it was it was, it was all just it was honestly kind of exhausting too but yeah. <laughs> but yeah it was a good time
0: yeah and I was like going back to the academics like yeah none of those schools are slouches so I could tell just from hearing those it's like okay this guy's definitely definitely got his priorities <laughs> straight with that and and obviously it helps when they're all athletic powerhouses as well yeah right but, right um yeah. So, what what would you say was like the deciding factor on that? Just the the balance of everything, or was it? What was it? I guess.
1: Yeah, I think. So. Yeah, that's hard because, like, it, I mean, part of it was like the athletic scholarship too, right? So, I mean, Harvard and UPenn they can't offer like any athletic aid because if oh, you're going true. to an Ivy League, yeah, they it's only like need based and stuff like that. So, so from the start, I mean, going there was gonna like just inherently cost a lot more than going anywhere else. Um so that wasn't really too exciting. Um but like furthermore it's like you come out to Stanford, it's it was like October during my official visit or something like that and it was just absolutely beautiful. You know what I mean? Like and, yeah. and I know that it seems like a very trivial thing. It's like when you're determining like what school you should go based like something that's going to have such a large impact on your life, you, the last thing you should be worried about is just like, "Oh, what's the weather like?" But but no, it was really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and I and I like that, but I think um yeah, I think, I think the appeal for Stanford for me was just that it, it just it just had like a little piece of everything that, that all those other schools had. Like it had very rigorous academics, had an incredible athletics program. Um, there are a lot of athletes on campus. There's like a lot of support for, um, for students and like being the best versions of themselves that they can be. And I, I think that was really appealed to like that. Um, and then also just the general... Uh, like, the geography of, like, where Sanford is, it's in Silicon Valley, it's uh, a great place for what I study, I, I do math and computer science, so it's, like, kind of a, it's, like, exactly where I should be, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, so so that, and just the general, just everybody's trying to, like, push themselves here, and I, I don't know, I really like that, so so I think that was, like, the main thing was as to why I came here.
0: I think you hit on a good point earlier, too, was that you didn't have to sign up for any of those recruiting things, because going back to our discussion of how it's just based on a number or so like numerical or black and white with the results Mm -hmm. like if you're a top guy you're probably going to get contacted where someone who's playing a different sport may have to go through more hoops even if they are a top guy it's not as clear because it's just it's just so uh subjective to coaches or looking at it and they could some people could see them as a five star recruit some people could see them as a three and stuff like that but it's like this guy's throwing this far it's like he's probably gonna get some emails so i think that's uh maybe a little bit of incentive for someone who, uh, who is thinking about throwing or interested in it is that it's, it's there. If you're legit, then you're going to get, get some contact. So yeah. that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And
1: and I mean, that's also like, obviously it's like, like, I don't want to sound like arrogant or anything, but obviously that's going to be different for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that I know that got into actually here, um, a, a few other schools that, they weren't, like, the, they, they weren't even in, like, the top 50 or, like, 60 in the country, whatever, they, but, but the thing about them is that, like, they reached out, like, they were persistent, like, they, you know, they basically made a case for themselves, they're, like, look, I'm a really good student, you know, you don't, you don't have, like, I'm not looking for, like, a full scholarship or anything, like, I just love Javelin, I want to continue doing it in college, like, can you help me out, and you'd be surprised, like, a lot of people, like, you don't need all these profiles, you just go to the website, find the email, submit, like, recruiting questionnaire, and, like, there you go. You start a conversation with these people because oftentimes like they, I mean, of course you're not going to always get like the, you know, the top person, but I mean, but you need some character on your team too. And I think a lot of people, um, could benefit from just actually reaching out and just saying hello. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and,
0: and you never know what that person can be going from starting, maybe they started their junior year of high school. And by the time it's their senior year, they don't have the best mark or they have, they're, they're okay, but maybe fringe division, one level talent. But by the time they mm-hmm. get there and they have four years of training and if it's a coach that knows what they're doing, they can really progress that person a lot. So I think in this sport, people might even be willing to take more chances uh, than other sports even. So uh, right, that's right. definitely an interesting part. And, and with the limited amount in high school, like there is a need. I mean, would you say that that's accurate? I mean, it seems like for me, Oh yeah. I, I had a pretty recent recruiting process going from Division three to Division I uh, for my last season, and it seemed like people were definitely interested even if it wasn't like the top level talent at the time or I didn't have like an amazing mark I had a good mark but it wasn't uh mind blowing but people were like yeah I'd love to have you on a visit love to talk to you on the phone stuff like that so I think there's definitely an opportunity there that it's not all about being at a division 1 school but if that's something you really are interested in this could definitely be uh a fruitful sport uh for people thinking about that
1: Oh certainly I mean like that and that's that's the thing about javelin right now I mean what a good time to get into it, right? Because, I mean, you look at going back to all these, you know, high-level high school meets, you know, who's at the top? It's, it's these guys in the states that, that have javelin in their states. Like, you, you, I mean, I think I looked at New Balance one year, and there's like 20, however many kids that are signed up. I think like close to half of them were all from Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> like, like, and so, I mean, that's not to say that Pennsylvanians just have it in their blood that they're going to be good javelin throwers, but it's like, no, like, this sport is not extremely popular in the United States, and, but there are still teams that value these these throwers and they need to get people on their team. So it's like, yeah, it's 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 that's totally right. Like these these people they they need javelin throwers. It's not like you you can just like I mean, I guess you could just not have any javelin throwers, but but I mean of course you want some javelin throwers. They're they're sick, they're dope. <laughs> yeah, we <me> like <laughs> a little biased there, but
0: yeah, yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. And yeah. Th- that's a lot of times the conference, like the event that there's points left on the board and that's why there's that need is like you don't have to yeah. be the world lord to even get some type of scholarship or some type of aid is just because maybe everyone threw shot put in high school so then the conference is just loaded with shot put but then even at some of the top conferences you see like the bottom end there's some area to oh, yeah. be scored and they're not bad throwers but it's not that it's also not impossible to, uh, possible to uh develop somebody to get to that level in a couple of years so yeah oh, definitely, definitely some definitely some opportunities out there yeah what do you think the coolest experience you've had in Javelin so far is that we kind of passed over your, uh, Pan Am experience in Peru. I don't know if that's it. I don't want to answer for you, but <laughs> what would uh, be some of your coolest experiences?
1: Um, I think, um, let's see, I'd say there was like two, oh man, there's actually a few that I like, I really don't know. Um, I'd say one of the most impactful experience experiences for me was, um, i'm I made like my first youth national team in 2015 and um I met some people that like I'm still very close to today but but not only that, it was just like actually I bought this bracelet at like a little stand down there and i I wear it in every single competition that I've been in since then i I actually just don't take it off. I've taken it off one time for a race or something um but but I think that one was just uh very impactful for me just because it kind of like showed me a little taste of like one of the benefits of like, you know, all this hard work, like it does pay off, you know what I mean? And so I, I I almost felt like that kind of gave me an upper hand a little bit in competition. because I was like, Oh, like I know what I'm working for. Like that was so much fun. Like that was such a cool experience going down there and competing. And uh, it was, it was in Columbia. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And I, I still have my, my first like U.S. Jersey just hanging in the corner. On my wall and I I love I love it like it's just a constant reminder of like why I kind of push myself you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um so that was really cool there was a trip to Finland that was really really cool too just meeting some people that it's I mean man it was so nice we just we just all we did was javelin it was so great and just being in a place where everybody is just you wake up eat some food you you go throw a javelin you chill in a sauna go in a lake Think about javelin a little bit more, dream about javelin, wake up and throw <laughs> javelin. <laughs> Sounds like a lot, and maybe it would be long-term, but it was that was really nice, too. Um, just seeing that there are some people that care that much about the sport, that it's like they, they're they literally dedicating their lives to it. Um, yeah, so that was really awesome. And then the last thing that I thought was really cool was we had like a trip to Cuba one time, and that was pretty neat. I got my butt whooped by, um, what's his name? It's Guillermo, something Guillermo. He's like a Cuban javelin thrower. Um, I think he's like almost 40 now, but he absolutely destroyed me, (laughs) but it was really fun though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did that
0: trip, uh, to Finland get set up? How is that? Like, I didn't even know about that one at all. Was that a meet or was it just like a trip or what was that?
1: Yeah, that was, um, so that was through the NSAF, which is that's, that's where I met Jeff Gorski. So that trip and the trip to Cuba were both through the NSAF, which is just like, I mean, it's, it's an incredible foundation that just has the, this primary goal of, uh, well, not NSCF as as a whole has this goal, but like the one of the their projects is the Project Javelin Gold, and they have Project Javelin Trip or Project Triple Jump, um, and I don't know. I mean, this it, it, it's just kind of crazy to me that these people they they invest so much of their time and money into just making this sport more popular and available to people around the United States, and and they just want want some kids that are going to grow up to have like a good talent and good shot at like making an Olympic team on it, and I think that it's like. Yeah, talk about luck, right? I mean, I met, I joined that actually at the the World Youth Championships in twenty fifteen. The trials for that, um, Jim Spear was was at that, and he saw me throw there, and like that's how I I would how that program. But, I mean, yeah, they they, that group has brought me so many experiences that I will, will never forget. That, yeah, I mean, it was it was just incredible. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. I, I've <laughs> been to it, One of the camps in South Dakota. It was in my first mm-hmm. year throwing, and that was, yeah, I mean, Sioux I, Falls, can't speak, yeah. Yeah, I can't speak highly uh, or highly enough about it. It was definitely uh, one of the coolest things I've done so far. But that's yeah. awesome, especially as a high schooler and really getting to be one of those kids is just, that's awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, it was, it was incredible, yeah.
0: What would you tell someone who's interested in starting to throw, but they don't have it in their state, uh, as a high school event at least?
1: I mean, I really do think that it's it's very important to have a coach. I think that um at the end of the day, like you do want somebody looking at your forum because it's it's hard to just learn this, I mean, solely from YouTube or solely from, you know, like Javelin Anatomy or somebody that's giving all this information about Javelin. I think all those things are great. Um, but I think it, it would be important. I think a good first step is like seeing if you have a club near you that has Javelin. Uh if not, just find somebody that, that you can learn it with. Like like I had my coach who who learned it. i mean ask ask your dad or ask a friend just like get somebody that will give you like a watching eye and kind of like do it with you a little bit um but i think in terms of just like trying to get somebody to if if you want to start um it's going to sound silly but just like start training your arm a little bit like get some get some medicine balls like look up go to youtube like look up the internet find all these exercises you can do buy a javelin if you can um and just get out there and kind of start having fun with it a little bit um And sign up for some meets, meet some people there. That's always a good place to see, like, who's coaching who. And you could maybe find, like, a coach there if you want. You know what I mean? Um, But I guess, like, I don't know, I guess, like, the biggest piece of advice is the javelin community is very kind. And I think there are a lot of people that are out there that are willing to help. So I think if you want to start throwing javelin, there is a ton of resources out there that can help you get started along your way. Um, And so, yeah, I I think trying to use those would be great because people it seems especially in the javelin community, are always willing to, to reach out and help you out, so.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what my advice would have been too, as well, is just like, if you want to start, just start. Like, that, yeah, there, you yeah. really like, can just go, as we said, go to a field and throw it, buy a couple things, and just throw some stuff and see what's going on. It doesn't have to be perfect. Obviously, you don't want to injure yourself or anything like that, but just, if you want to start, it's really easy to try, or try it out and mm. not just wait around and think about well what's the perfect technique and stuff like that just experiencing that stuff and that's kind of how i got into it was we didn't really have a coach so we had javelins and my head coach was just like all right here's the stuff and i would just yeah. go and try and throw it and try and throw it and a lot of times it didn't look very good but it was just like that process of like yeah i'm not good today but then the next day i'm better and stuff like that and uh, moving forward was just mm-hmm. i just enjoy that process even it's not about like the results necessarily like everyone wants to throw super far but uh that process of getting through it i think uh you hit on it really well is what you can do and going into those meets in your area too like you said maybe there's not someone in your town but then the next town over or something like that you just luck into it and i've met a bunch of people at uh some summer meets i was at that are just like i'll facebook message them sometimes or they'll message me like there's a guy named jeff elliott he's in san diego i think he's gotta be in his 50s and he'll just, like, Facebook message me, like, how's training going, and, like, just talk about training, and he's still throwing in, like, master's mates, like, I never yeah, would have yeah. thought I would have made that connection with somebody just randomly right. like that, but it's just, yeah, and and people message me on this account now that I've made, and, like, one, one kid the other day was just making me laugh, he was like, it's not, like, I said, if you have any questions, just let me know, and he's like, yeah, I got some questions, it's not every day you get to talk to a Division One javelin thrower, and I was like, <laughs> dude, I'm, like, the most average person on the planet, like, I'm not some type of, like, person you know it's just like yeah regular people and like i mean you've had a lot more success than me but people are like willing to answer you and like reach out and have those conversations and that's kind of just what i did too when i was starting was just message some people that seemed like they were interested in throwing and i i've never heard like a no from anybody the only yeah, person that's right. not responded to a message is like thomas roller and that's for good reason like but for the <laughs> most part like everybody will answer your message even if they're like one of the top throwers so i think yeah that's really some great advice
1: yeah no it's true and I mean that's like yeah people are always willing to help and and it's just so worth it to start too I think like you hit on a very good point it's like the probably the most beautiful thing about javelin is is even I mean I face this so often it's crazy like I'll have a really hard training week and one day I'll be throwing great and then the next day of course like it's gonna be awful because my body's just beat up even if I don't feel like it is and like that's that's, like, all the more reason to get started in it because it's just, like, I mean, the the life skill that you get from that kind of, like, resilience, I guess, of just being able to be, like, yeah, this really wasn't that great today, but I'm going to go out there tomorrow and hit it. Like, I don't know. That, with in, in combination with the people that you meet in the sport, it's, like, why would you not want to be a part of it? You know what I mean?
0: Uh, absolutely. It's, yeah. I guess my last closing thought would be, who's your favorite thrower outside of Zelesni and why? I always think – I just got to start saying outside of Zelesni because I think that's just, like – the cop-out really? answer, but uh, who do you think uh, would be your favorite?
1: So that's a tough one. Um, I don't think I would say Lesni. I mean, obviously you gotta respect Lesni. That's what I am like, saying. Like it's he's the all time yeah. goat. <laughs> uh, I think. I mean, also Uwe Han, he's incredible. Um, that that man is just a tank, and he threw it really, really, really far, and that was really impressive to see. Um, but I think one of my favorites is actually Keshran Walcott. Um, mm. I, re- I mean I really like I really like him. I always looked up to Andreas Sorkelsen growing up um just because like he I mean he was just to me like every time I went on YouTube and just like looked up great job on throws like he was always there and I admire his form to this day. He's I mean he is incredible form. Like he was always just looked so strong going into the block, just very calm, relaxed um and uh very stable. So so I, I liked him a lot. Um Keshawn Walcott, I liked for I mean again like his style of throwing is pretty cool. But I think his story is also very cool. Um, I mean, talk about a guy that, like, he was 19 in 2012, right? And he just came off winning the World Junior Championships. He was he qualified for the Olympics. Went in, absolutely nobody had any expectation for this man. They were like, like of course, he's 19 years old. Like, he's not going to win, you know what I mean? And uh, you, you, apparently, like, you talk to him, and, like, he was like, yeah, like, whatever. But, like, you know, like, in the back of his mind, he, he wasn't thinking, like, oh, I'm coming here to just participate, like... And I think that's so cool. Like he, like you got to respect somebody that just comes in and nobody expects anything from this guy. And, and he didn't doubt himself one bit and he just went in and and won that thing. Like that's crazy to me at 19 years old, first person out of Europe to win an Olympic championship in like 50 years. Like that's insane. Um, and not only to mention the fact that I think he started like only a few years earlier, like three or four years earlier something crazy like that. Um, so yeah, I think like his story is really, really cool um, and kind of inspires me a little bit so so yeah, probably him and, and uh, Andreas Thorkelson, I'd say would be my favorite.
0: I think those are some really outstanding choices that that's some definitely yeah. definitely some good ones. I don't know. <laughs> this is me going on a rant before this thing ends. Is I don't know if you've seen a post from Tread Athletics, I think it is, and they're just talking about like relaxation and throwing, but it's Thorkelson throwing and he's like got the most like loose face ever oh, yeah. and then he like oh, yeah. grunt, like twinges it a little bit as he's releasing and then right after it's out of his hand he's back to like, completely relaxed like the ability to just like stay that relaxed but apply that much force is just like yeah it's incredible it's, it's super and, impressive yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. definitely some good choices
1: yeah yeah
0: alright Liam this was fun uh, thank you for coming on for episode 2 I definitely enjoyed it uh, and I learned a lot about uh, the process of getting Javelin approved uh, in a state so if I ever want to take that up uh, I'll come hit you up <laughs>
1: Definitely, definitely.
0: All right, awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Costa Costa, where I do the most, promise I ain't going to go. If I make it out of stone, I'm going to keep you around. Swear to God, I'm not going to switch on your hope.